Today we're with Alex, and I'm going to mutilate it, I'm sure, Riesenkampf, and he is the CEO and founder of Get Vocal. Now, did I kill your name, Alex? No, you didn't kill my name. You didn't kill my okay, name. Good. Did a pretty decent job on that, I'd say. All right, fantastic. Now, Get Vocal is a relatively new social video sharing pro, um, platform. It's about, what, a year and a half old or so? Yeah, we've been working on this in different iterations since a while. Um, a little bit, actually one and a half years is exactly um, correct. But we came out with the current conception of the platform in September. Wow, okay. So tell me a little about yourself, Alex. I understand you're from the fintech world and you literally just moved here to create get vocal. Yeah. So I've been an entrepreneur in the fintech industry for about close to five years before I moved to the States to start get vocal. And I was involved in really two companies. One is SumUp, which is the European competitor of Square, so card payments for small merchants. And the other one is PrestaCap, which is a online lending company for SME companies. What inspired you to drop the uh, day job, well, day job, so to speak, and suddenly create a platform out of nothing? So, so get vocals very much my day job, my night job, and everything in between. <laughs> I guess the question is, why did I completely switch industries? Yes, and the inspiration came, I think, about five years ago, and I was reading an article on a online news site and it was about a rather touchy topic and a topic that I feel very passionate about so I felt okay this is a good um this is a good article I want to get some perspective on it and I went to the commentary section and in the commentary section there was just spewing of hostile opinions and all of that and then I decided okay hold on let me just go down this rabbit hole and check what I can find online to this specific topic And after hours and hours, I just realized that even though we're so connected and we have, you know, we're a tap or a click away from anyone on the, in the world, the interactions that we have on topics that we care about are pretty terrible online. And so that really was the problem that I saw needed fixing. And with Get Vocal, we addressed that by saying, Anonymous text interactions don't bring out the best in us, and being face to face and live is a much better way of connecting and talking about stuff that matters. So you're using the principle of the anonymous YouTube comments being accessible, and if I have to actually face you when I'm talking to you, maybe I can couch my terminology a little bit better. Absolutely, absolutely. We just have these psychological dimensions when we're communicating with folks and seeing someone and hearing them and understanding what their reactions are just create that social contract that is not there when you have the anonymity of your keyboard and just an avatar that is 
very easy to shout at. And I, th- yeah, I think that's definitely helpful. I mean, we're, right now, to clue everybody in, we're looking at each other over video. And we're speaking, of course, with a mic in front of our faces, but we got to do what we got to do. Now, you dropped everything and you built something on streaming video. And that's hard. I mean, video is hard. People seem to be dying on the vine left and right. Oh, vine's actually one of them. (laughs) And (laughs) do you feel nervous about being in this? There are times when, or there were times when I felt nervous. Those were really the initial times of Get Vocal, as I said I've been a fintech entrepreneur, so this was a very, very new domain for me in the beginning. And there were times when I had the feeling that I didn't really know what I was doing. Now, one and a half years into the journey, that has very much changed. I feel that the team has a solid grip on the industry, and we have built a experience that is actually getting some adoption. And we really understand what the strategy is to go forward. And we even see that there were some players that tried to do something similar as we did, or as as what we're approaching, that gave up, that got impatient. And we really think that we're on the verge of something big. So... Of course, being an entrepreneur, there's always times when you get a little nervous. There's a lot of risk, but at the same time, there's a lot of excitement. And of all the things that I've done so far, this is by far the most worthwhile and is also by far the most fun. On that note, and we'll we'll go and throw out Blab because you are very similar to Blab. I think you would agree. Um, They didn't make it and they went away about three years ago. Now, are there external factors that make it more possible for you now? And uh, questions are, are, I'm going to be specific on it, like, is bandwidth cheaper now than it was three years ago? Is storage cheaper now than it was three years ago? Are these factors that are possibly going to make it more possible for you to survive than a company three years ago? So the, the interesting thing is that Blab was actually doing pretty well. I think Blab had, was onto something big, but it was different than they what they had envisioned. And they did not have the flexibility to see that they were onto something important and therefore abandoned it. And I think that has a lot to do with the ethos of how people run Silicon Valley companies. Also, one, one of the big factors for Blab was the playbook to be a successful social media platform very much has as one of the pillars, you need to get traction with the youngest internet, the youngest mobile users. Now, it turned out that that was not the case with Blab, and they probably figured out and probably said, well, we're not executing according to the established playbook of being successful as a social media platform. Maybe we should just quit what we're doing. And... We see it very differently. I think there's a ton of applications and services out there for the youngest generation. And I think there's actually too little focus on a more mature demographic that can make much more 
out of a platform that is about good and healthy interactions that fosters community, all those kinds of things. So I think the bandwidth and those kind of things, yeah, that's something that you need to manage. That's something that you need to get right. Obviously, you can't offer um, something like this for free forever and not make money, which is the case um, for us right now. You, you need to figure out a business model, all these kind of things. I think we're in better shape now, three years later. I think that um, also from an adoption perspective, live video is something that is much less daunting and threatening to the user. And we see it in gaming. We see it in adult content that live video is really taking off. And I think live video in the talk content space is just about to have its moment. Okay, that's interesting. So like I know Twitch, a lot of podcasters, for example, have tried Twitch and they found that it's just a barren desert for them because Twitch is so hardcore gamer oriented that they just, there's no community there. They have difficulty getting traction. Now, I do want to jump back a little bit. You had mentioned the um, social media formula, and I want to make sure I understand it because I'm not the brightest candle on the cake. Essentially, is it a case where it's all about building as many people as you can, as quickly as you can to have the network effect um, to where you're everywhere at one time? So I would say that that's what the typical playbook would tell you. You need to grow as quickly as possible to have network effects. And of Mm -hmm. course, we need to get to a place where we have network effects. But what what we've been doing is we've been growing very slowly and very cautiously, working intensively with our initial user group to get the experience and get the product and the platform and the tech and everything right. And I think that's super important when you are building something that in terms of experience is very new for the absolute majority of the addressable users that you're looking at. Um, Once you then have something that actually works and we now are at that place, yes, then of course you need to spread the word, proliferate, um, create those network effects now, that said, for us, when we look at value to the user, the value to you as a user of Get Vocal is not bigger if we have a million versus just 10,000 users. It's maximized for you when there are users that are relevant to you and there's content that you care about. So even if it's only, let's say, a community of 50 people in your specific niche, in your specific domain that you that you care about, that can be plenty to really create a vibrant community that really matters to you. So we look at we look at it more as getting onboarding communities where within that community, each user gets that value that I just described. So you're seeking out the stickiness. So rather than having people come in try it, do a couple of videos, and then just kind of float off. You're actually trying to build a habit and have a steady audience who comes week after week after week for their favorite podcasters or or their church. I, I can't help but think about churches for some reason that I could see congregations online or things like that. That's something that hasn't happened yet, but absolutely. Exactly what you said. 
It's, and it's not just creating stickiness for its own sake. It's creating value so that there's a reason for the user to come back because they actually get something on our platform that they don't get on other pla- in other places. This is the part that really, you know, is important for me to ask you, and it's probably a pain to talk about, but we want to be on the platform. We want to use the platform. We want to come back again and again. How are we going to know you're here in a year? That's a great question. And we get asked that question a lot. We get asked that question a lot from folks that were very invested in Blab and felt cheated on when Blab, in spite of saying something else, just shut down from one day to the next. We're self, we're a mix of self um, and angel funded. So it would be not fair if I promise that we'll be around forever. Mm-hmm. All we can do is be very transparent about how long we're going to be around and what our intention is with what we're doing. And so far, that dialogue with the community has been well received, I think. Um, we explain what we can do and what we're working on and that we need help from the community to take it to the next level and that we're not promising anything, but um, that our intentions are to, to stick around and that we do have a plan, for example, to monetize to eventually get to a more sustainable operating model. Can we talk about that? Because that, that really is the kind of thing that warms people's hearts is to see, Oh, they have a plan. Here's the plan. Oh, that seems like a viable plan or, I'm going to throw out a podcast co- company or host that uh, was extremely controversial, still is, Anchor.fm. Now, Anchor was under all kinds of fire, and I don't think it was necessarily fair, all of it. But the big question was, they're free, completely free. You can put your stuff up there for free. Okay, well, you don't own your stuff. Well, maybe you do own your stuff. And I talked to the CEO, and yes, you own your stuff. But the question kept coming up. It's like a march. How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? How are you going to pay for it? So I think there's one big difference between Anchor and us. Anchor had a massive office and a huge team and was burning tons of money and were set up rather frugal. You're in Boulder, right? We're in Boulder, but we're a small team. Um, and we're really making sure that we extend the money that we have to last as, as long as possible. And we're not doing, spending money in any stupid kind of way. So that's one thing. The second thing is that we, bl- there's a plan B. The plan B is we'll ask users to pay, f- pay for premium features. And there are a bunch of users that have, are, that are asking us to, to pay for this service, um, to cool. feel at ease about the question that you just raised. We would like to be in a position to never charge for the service, but as a plan B, it's an option. Our plan A is to help content creators monetize their content and take a cut from that. And there's a couple different ways of how, how we can do that. And there's one way of how we're already doing that. Okay. I think Anchor actually was doing that before they got bought out by Spotify. And that my second part of the question was, this is not an acquisition play, is it? For me, it's not. For me, it's not. Okay. Uh, you know, if, if it was an acquisition play, I would have stuck to my guns in fintech and done what I know how to do and 
you know, I've done that before. So we really care about what we're doing. We really think that um, we're onto something that these face-to-face interactions, a platform that creates a more meaningful community, that these are really important things. So that's what mon- motivates us. Um, what will happen in the future, whether, you know, there, there might be a situation where we can't say no to an acquisition for whatever reason, that's possible. But that's not why we're doing this. Okay. Well, and I just want to ask that because uh, it kind of felt like, and I keep using Anchor as an example, but it felt like that was an acquisition play from the get-go. The network effect, the building, the numbers, um, Google Ventures investment, you know, one, two, three, four, you know, down the line, very heavy Silicon Valley, stuff like that. I mean, the thing is, Eric, you as an entrepreneur can start out and not have an acquisition play in mind and then you get investors on board and suddenly you lose control <laughs> over how what the fate of your company is going to be and then you find yourself in a position where you're forced to sell. So I don't know. I've never talked to the anchor guys. I don't know the exact story, how things went down. But as soon as you get Silicon Valley VCs on board, there's a different kind of pressure to achieve certain things in a certain period of time. And when you don't, acquisition becomes the plan B exit for all of them. So maybe that happened to Anchor. Maybe it was an acquisition play from the get-go. I don't know. You mean they're not a charity? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I, I'm, I'm, you know, there's extremely smart guys in the VC space, especially sure. in Silicon Valley. But I do have my qualms with their approach of investing with their with their patience on how long they can give companies to succeed also with their definition of value creation there's a lot of good there but there's also shade for sure okay no and that's fair but i i want to keep asking this you know this is the stuff that makes people feel confident oh you know, they're here, they're here for the long haul. We can get there as a team. You seem to be definitely motivated to work with the creators in the community as if they are partners versus um, customers or users. And I think that's a good thing. We started immersing ourselves in the community. And when, when, we, when we started doing that more, we started becoming more successful. Because we have a pulse on what people need, we have a pulse on what the problems are. We under we are, we're able to understand much quicker what value we should double down on, what things are not good. Um, the community takes us seriously; they invest a lot into helping us succeed. So it's really a win-win relationship to be part and immerse yourself into that creator and early adopter community. Now, did anything about the community surprise you? Hmm. Did anything about the community surprise me? I don't know. It's, 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 <laughs> you're catching me slightly off guard here. Um, what I, do. I, did, I didn't have too many <laughs> expectations. So obviously you need to have expectations that are then not meant to be surprised. I would say that I am fascinated and intrigued by the kind of relationships that already, even though we're still early days and it's still a 
relatively small user base, how strong some of the relationships are that are being built between the users. Um, it's it, In some cases, it almost feels like an extended living room where people in, in, engage and interact with their friends. And that is fascinating. Now, I'm guessing that a lot of that is through podcaster exposure, because I will say podcasters are an odd breed. They tend to be not necessarily competitive, very cooperative, and very open to, oh, if you like my show, you'll like this guy's show too, versus um, it's more of an abundance mentality. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at the same time, podcasters are pretty fragmented, right? They do Mm -hmm. their, they produce their shows like you probably from home, from your studio, apart from podcast events, podcast conventions. There are not too many times when you can actually socialize with your podcasting friends, with your community. So yes, they're very collaborative, which is great. And at the same time, there seems to be a need and a want to connect and network more with other podcasters. Is that a gap you're hoping to fill? I think we're already filling it. Um, We would love to fill it at a larger scale. And so we're really concentrating on podcasters as a content creator um, category. Okay, so they're almost a primary focus, or or do you have what are some of your other focuses? So we have two focuses, two focuses in terms of content creators. One is podcasters, and um, the other is Patreon creators. There is a little bit of an overlap, but there is also differences. So the case for Patreon creators is that they can. We have a Patreon integration, so you, as a Patreon creator, can offer exclusive access events for your um, mm. patrons, and that is the other case that we're trying to prove. And that is our first expedition in helping creators monetize, and it's already working. We already have some very exciting use cases of Patreon creators that did exclusive shows for their Patreon subscribers and were able to boost their annualized revenue by more than a thousand dollars with one single event. So nice. And are you working out a uh, revenue share with them at some point or is that a goal? So right now the Patreon integration is we're not making any money with it, but it's, It's to prove to content creators that engaging with your audience Mm -hmm. in a way that you cannot on Facebook or other social platforms is super valuable in many ways, including making money. And so the next step is allowing content creators like podcasters to incorporate call to actions in the format Hmm. that will convert better than what podcast advertising is right now. So we see a huge opportunity there. And that is where we would then take a a share of the revenue that the podcaster gets from advertisers. Have you thought about training? Training? Yes. So training content creators or what exactly do you mean? Well, one, you just mentioned that you're showing or showing creators how they could make money. I'm going to include a podcaster as a creator. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of parallels. What about training them? 
and by the way, that could be a way to monetize as well, is you could offer knowledge on here is how to maximize Get Vocal, or even better, you can train the trainer, and that would help you spread the word yourself. I'm of a Cisco background and Novell background and Microsoft background and all kinds of certifications. And truthfully, I'm always asked to help people. If you offer training to tell me, here is how you instruct your clients on how to use Get Vocal, then now you have how many people out there training people how to do it. Just a thought. It's a great thought, and we're trying to do exactly that. So we have already a couple of shows about podcasting that are hosted by podcasters that are podcast consultants or that help other clients do their podcasts and all that kind of stuff. So inherently, part of that content is exactly what you just described, training other potential podcasters or creators on Get Vocal by showing them how they can use the platform to achieve their goals. Okay. Just wanted to see if that was... And then, but that's only one thing. The other thing is, of course, having resources and having, you know, putting stuff out to help podcasters and other creators understand what the platform can do for them, how they should use it, all these kind of things. Yeah, because before we started recording, you started to go into how... I was being short-sighted, which I appreciate when I had mentioned I could see using this platform for recording an episode and, and working with my community to where they could come on and off and talk to me. And you pointed out that, well, no, there's more than that. Can we go into that a little bit? So I, I wouldn't say that's short-sighted, but that's just a natural reflex. When creators, specifically podcasters, hear about Get Vocal for the first time, they immediately compare us in their mental model to other live streaming tools. Sure. And that's fine. That's okay. Part of what we offer is a live streaming functionality. They're simulcasting all these things, right? Now, Get Vocal is more than that. It is a place where you can foster your community, where the community can engage with each other, where people can become friends. It's a social place. So that is what we have in addition to just being a live streaming tool. So for example... Now, can I clarify that? I wanted to ask it because something popped in my head. Yeah. Does that mean theoretically, I have a Facebook group, for example, for Unstructured. I don't always post in it. And I have several people in there who are major posters. They actually provide far more content than even I do. Is it theoretically possible that I could have the unstructured channel and I may or may not be running it at any given point? Or are you talking about something else? So the way the channels work, you as the owner of the unstructured channel are able to schedule shows and then anyone who's subscribed to your channel will get notified when these shows go on. All of your recorded content lives within your channel and all of that. In addition, we have what we call a channel hangout. And if you enable that as a creator, even when you're not there, your community can have a social place where they hang out with each other 24-7. 
Awesome. That's exactly what I was wondering. And, and that's just the beginning. Our idea is that Facebook groups are great, but the so interaction much. could be better. <laughs> so again, the live and the face-to-face interaction bring that to the concept of a Facebook group, suddenly you have something that's much more powerful. No, that sounds awesome because there are people who do not want to be in Facebook. And you are offering an alternative to a Facebook group, it sounds like. Is that fair for me to say? Uh, I mean, Facebook groups have a bunch of functionalities that we do not have yet. Um okay. But what we're creating is, yes, a community space. And the idea is that you can bring your the group that you have on Facebook today to get vocal, cater content to them, and allow them to engage with each other in a much more meaningful way than they might be able to on the Facebook group. Now, would that include a video communication, or would that be something that I'd have to constantly initiate? For it to happen. How are they communicating? I haven't looked, so I'm so of- so so as I mentioned, there is a hangout that you can enable, and then the community can congregate in that hangout and chat with each other. Members of your community can add each other as friends on our platform. So whenever you go onto the platform, you can see if any of your friends are online or where they are and follow them into that destination, which could be your channel hangout. So there are a bunch of connecting and networking behaviors that we already support today. Now I have to check all this out. And I did my homework. <laughs> one more feature, you can also direct video call someone that you're connected with on the platform. Really? Okay. Yeah. Now, is this always being recorded or is it being shared with everybody or can we have a private call? Yes, you can have private sessions. Interesting. Okay, that sounds actually a lot more powerful because you're also on Android and iPhone, if I recall. Yes, it's cross-platform. Now, okay, that's another question. In the Hangout, can you initiate a connection using a mobile device? Like, let's say I'm at work and I just want to check in with a group. Hey, what's everybody doing here? And you can. I just do it on the phone. You can. The, the functionality on the mobile apps from a user perspective are on par with the web platform. And the only difference right now is that you can only host shows and create events on the web platform. But we're also adding that on the mobile platform within, I would say, the next 10 days. And then it will really be on par, mobile to web. Awesome. I can see. I know that I have members of the group who literally travel the whole world, and they have their phone. That's their only, you know, they live out of a backpack. (laughs) So I can actually say I do know a couple people that do it with start sessions. Yes. So, yeah. And, And that's also why we... This was hard to do to start having not only a web platform or only a mobile platform, but doing all three, web, Android, and iOS. And the reason is to have that ubiquity for the user. One more question. Do you have a presentation type of model? And by that, I mean, can I share my screen or or load a video in or share content with my um, my peers? And yes, I know that there may be a copyright issue with like YouTube 
if I'm playing a song or something, but let's say I'm not doing it. Let's say we move off of it and we just want to stay and get vocal and just have a chat and listen to a song together. So we just recently released what we call presenter mode. Now in when you're in one of the rooms, you can toggle between what we call hangout mode, which is a two by two grid of videos, video slots that can be occupied. Obviously, there can be many more people in a room that can engage and interact in the chat, but there's a maximum of four available video slots. Now, as a, as the host, you can toggle to presenter mode. And presenter mode means that one of the video boxes is highlighted and gets much more real estate. And you can either occupy that yourself as the host, or you can assign one of your guests to the presenter um, box. And... The next step is that we will do native screen sharing so that if you're in this presenter box, you can actually show stuff and your viewers can see because the box has the respective size for for assets that you're showing to be visible. Now, you can already do all of that on your own using our platform if you use third-party virtual cameras, mixers, and stuff like that. Do you have um, instructions for that or a, a listener? Yeah, we have a resource page. We have a resource page that walks you through a couple of paid, a couple of free options, a couple of more sophisticated, a couple less sophisticated options to do this kind of stuff, like OBS, like um, vMix, like ManiCam, like Ecamm. There's a bunch. And so we selected a couple oh. so that depending on how tech savvy you are and how willing you are to pay money for this kind of stuff there's some option that we describe both with text and with how-to videos i hate to be mean but i'd almost want to encourage people to pay money so they get in the habit of it (laughs) sorry to say but i don't know if you remember napster days yeah but people kind of got trained it's like oh i should never buy a song meanwhile artists were just desperate you mean you mean have have folks pay for the service as a creator, as a creator, or or just get used to donating or whatever? Even if they're buying T-shirts from you, just different things. Because again, you'd want it to survive, and well, you could do a minor thing like um, put branding on every time there's a Facebook Live, and then just say, "Yeah, you pay us, you know, two bucks a month or whatever, no branding." Those are great ideas, and we might resort to that. Right now, the creators that we have on the platform are extremely responsive to our inquiries. They are super helpful in giving us feedback. So they're very involved. They're paying us essentially with their time. Right, with their labor. In a way, you could say that. I mean, obviously, they have an interest in doing that because they're telling us how we can make the platform better for them so that they get more value out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But... We feel that the the exchange of value is is fair at this point. I understand. I just worry. <laughs> All right. So what is next for Alex and Get Vocal? And it's real the answer is the same <laughs> for both. So we feel that our platform is in a place where we can grow our user base significantly. We've done a lot of work to it. Obviously, we are continuing to do work on it. But we feel that we're ready for a bigger splash. So 
as I mentioned earlier, we're really focusing on the podcaster community to showcase what we can do for the community to actually create a podcaster community on the platform that is valuable to its members. And the other part is double down on the Patreon integration that we've done. And that's really what's next for the next couple of months for sure. Okay. So you're essentially looking to scale and then test and see that the scale's working okay, everything's holding up, et cetera. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, fantastic. Now, how pe- how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more? Just download the apps um, in the app store or on Google Play. Um, visit getvocal.com. That's G-E-T-V-O-K-L.com. You can hit us up on any of the social platforms. We have a presence there. We really encourage everyone to come check it out and make their own impression on whether what I've been telling you is actually the experience uh, that they will have. Fantastic. And hey, Alex, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Eric, for having me. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Hey, are you a podcaster or wannabe podcaster? The Mid-Atlantic Podcast Conference is the place to be September 6th and 7th in Atlantic City, New Jersey. It's by podcasters for podcasters with a focus on creativity, community building, and turning your podcast into your business. Learn more at midatlanticpodcast.com. I did not grow up with very much money. Money's energy. Money is something that really scares me. Yeah, I had about 60 grand in debt. Money isn't the answer. Somebody should just give me a lot of money. My dream was to be the WWE wrestler, but you realize that your dreams change over the years. Money's a tool. It's a key to a gate. And at the other side of the gate is the things that you really want to do with your life. It's the things that matter most to you. It's pursuing those values that make you ultimately happy. Listen to Inspired Money at inspiredmoney.fm. Hi, I'm Tyson Franklin, the host of It's No Secret with Dr. T, which is a small business and marketing podcast. Each week, I interview business leaders who openly share the secrets to the massive success. It's No Secret with Dr. T will educate, entertain, and inspire you. Check it out. You'll find it wherever you listen to podcasts, or you can go to my website, TysonFranklin.com.